Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, we read through the book of Concord and discuss our Lutheran confession of the faith with a couple of Christ-confessing Concordians. On today's show, we have Pastor Jaime Nava, the most excellent pastor from Concordia in Maplewood, Missouri. Most excellent. Most Thank you. excellent. Yes. Uh, he's the one that said yes to be on the show today, basically. That That's how it boils down excellent. to it. Yeah. But it's a great show. And I'm your host, by the way, Pastor Sean Smith. But uh, a, a great show because we are beginning the formula of Concord. The Lutheran Church is a mess. There are factions, there are divisions. So many issues going on in the church. No, I'm not talking about the church today, or am I? Oh, oh. maybe. Oh. But uh, certainly this, this is something that plagues the church as we live in this world, right? Uh, Hasn't it always? Yeah. What's the, the line from um, uh, the church is one foundation? Uh, by heresies distressed. Distressed. And, yeah. So that's the situation that we have going on in the church at all times. It's kind of weird where... There's sinners, there's sin. Yeah. Yeah. That That's a most excellent point. But where there's sinners, there's also forgiveness. And grace. Because and, mm. Jesus only forgives sinners. I've heard someone say that. Yeah. That's that's basically what the church exists for, yeah. is to do this. Um, but the, the problem is, is that the devil works hard against the church and sows um, all sorts of seeds of dissension among it. Uh, and it does. It gets it gets distressed by heresies, and that that is the situation that the church always faces. Uh, the struggle that we live in in this world, and yet we 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 turn to that same word of God that forgives sins to deal with these struggles and to have a clear confession of that pure gospel that leads the church, and that's what the formula of Concord really seeks to do. And and before we actually dig into reading through the formula of Concord, I wanted to dedicate this show to taking a look at the history, the setting, the background. What what's going on as we get into the formula? Why are these issues that we're going to be discussing in the formula of Concord the issues that that are worth dealing with? Haven't we dealt with these in the Augsburg Confession? Haven't we dealt with these other places? Um, and so that's that's kind of. A lot for one show. And and usually on this show, as I even opened the show today, I said we, we read through and discuss the Book of Concord. We're not really going to read through a section today. We may have highlights. Uh, of course, on this show, we use the Concordia Reader's Edition of the Book of Concord, available um, from uh, uh, Concordia Publishing House. And it has really excellent i mean just several pages i should have counted the pages it'd be it'd be better if i had known the actual number of pages but a significant section um with the editor's introduction and all sorts of images for us uh 
that are in connection with it and help us understand and so forth. And I, I certainly commend it to you. Um, go out, get a copy. I get no money, no kickback from CPH. As a matter of fact, they don't even know who I am down there. And but 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 it's really excellent. And and we do have the most excellent Pastor Nava on, who really does love this history and is going to kind of give us a broad overview. One show's not enough, but we're going to try and scratch the surface of getting us the history, the background, the setting. So go ahead. I, I've, I've given us the basic setting of the Lutheran church is a mess. So go ahead and clean up that mess for us, Pastor Oh, Nava. yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'll do that in an hour. Um, so I, I do want to uh, piggyback on what you said about this book from CPH. Again, like you said, I'm not getting anything out of the comments to come uh, right now. Although in full disclosure, your wife does work there. She does. Yeah. She's probably the most gorgeous employee at Concordia Publishing. Yeah. And, and when I say probably, she is. She is the most gorgeous employee <laughs> at Concordia Publishing House. So... Um, I, when I when I get copies of this uh, book of Concord from Concordia Publishing House, I get extra copies because I like to give them away. And funny enough, I tell people, "Look, uh, this is a great book. Read the whole thing." But personally, start at the back, start at the formula because there's a number of things in the formula of Concord that we're still wrestling with today, and so. Uh, we have antinomianism, and we've got Calvinism and, and crypto-Calvinism, and all these different weird things that we'll touch on a little bit today, which you'll definitely cover when you go through the formula of Concord. But buy this book, and if you already own one, buy it for somebody else, or buy extra copies for your pastor so he could give them away. Because I think it was when the Missouri Synod originally started— they said everybody should own a copy of the Book of Concord. Right? Yeah, uh, CFW Walther, who gets a few mentions on this show from time to time, uh, definitely has a great quote about this, where where he says that the Bible, the Book of Concord, which of course would include the small catechism, uh, he, he, his, his focus would definitely be on the small catechism, should definitely be in every Lutheran home. But he just says the whole Book of Concord, um, and he also highlights the formula of Concord, and the hymnal also should be in every Lutheran home. And that kind of forms our Lutheran life together in our homes, our piety, the way we live together as uh, as Christians. It's, it's, it's a good recommendation for sure. Yeah, and you're not just saying that because the statue of Walther is looking at you right now. Right? No, no, he's, he's my hero. He's your, well, for good reason. Okay, so I, I wanted to give that plug. Um, so we go back, go back in time with me, if you will, to the 1500s. Uh, Martin Luther uh, was this hero in Germany in, for a number of different ways, for a number of different reasons, for a number of different people. Some people uh, saw him as their hero because, hey, we don't have to send our money to Rome anymore. So we get to keep our money in Germany. I like this. Other people saw Luther as their hero because they're, they're picking up, he's picking up where other people maybe left off, like Jan Hus or, or John Hus or however people want to call him. And so a lot of people threw, gave him this position uh, that he didn't necessarily ask for. They kind of saw him as their hero in one way or another. Luther then carved out his own path for himself, and he never really took any single person's position uh, but his own. And some, sometimes we, we even stray from his positions in some regards. So 
Well, I want to pause just for a second sure. to, to, to talk about this a little more, because we haven't really talked about this on the show too much. I mean, sometimes we just barely scratch the history even less than we will today, um, just in passing with mention of other articles. And, and I think this is an important point to make about what happened in the Reformation. Uh, in, the, in the movie that came out several years ago kind of hints at this somewhat, too, that, you know, you kind of have the peasants revolt and things that, you know, they say, oh, this is Luther's work. And he's like, this isn't my work. And, and it bears repeating that for Luther, it was a matter of theology, peace with God, the doctrine of justification. I mean, these these things were the chief driving factors for Luther, for sure. But I think what you're highlighting is true and sometimes still plagues us in the church today. I mean, wonderful saints in Christ that I serve in Southern Illinois, but we have long history. I mean, we go back to the beginning of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Uh, we're right across from Perry County, the original settlement down there. Very old sanctuaries built in the late 1800s and early 1900s, uh, the, the two congregations I serve. And so, you know, sometimes, even still today, people are affiliated with the Lutheran Church for matters other than what Scripture teaches us about our God and the relationship that we have with Him by His grace. And so it's always worth highlighting and repeating that was the driving factor. But then you can kind of get issues here when all of a sudden your connection with this Reformation, I, I like what you highlight very kindly there. It's like, you know, for, for uh, I, I think my personal take on history is, is that, you know, this, this fact that they didn't have to send money off to Rome anymore was probably what made the Reformation so successful in Germany. Uh, more than any theological issue, but hey, the Lord used it for His purposes for a very good thing. But sorry to oh, stop yeah. you there, but it, it was a driving I, I think factor it, for sure. Yeah, I think it worked. As, as we said with the heresies and things, which are matters of theology, we're still plagued by this in the church as well. Is that people get connected to the church and to a tradition within the church for a lot of other reasons that have nothing to do with what the church actually exists for. Yeah, if if the best reason for doing something in your church is, well, we've always done it this way, uh, that, that may not be the best reason. If that's the only reason, if that's the only reason, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm going to say about that, okay? So write your letters to Sean Smith, okay, if you have any problems. Um so, well, you see this with weddings, funerals, things like that, yeah, too. You know, yeah. like, well, we want to get married in church. Well, you haven't ever been in the church, right. you know, and, and the church exists for for the faith, the proclamation right. of the faith. Well, but my family's been here for five generations. Well, that's nice, but you're not. Yeah. And and you're not a confessor of the faith. And, and, and yeah, so, again, we're still plagued by this. Yeah, there's a lot. So Luther uh, sparks this Reformation almost accidentally. Um. There's some intentionality to it, but not the way that he expected it to go. So it takes off. And, and of course, we sit in our chairs here and we look back and think, oh, what, what, how beautiful it must have been. Lutheran theology, that is, you know, proper biblical interpretation and understanding of the gospel has been made free again. And so everybody must have been enlightened and everybody must have loved it. Even in Luther's day, they're traveling around the 15, later 1520s and they see... The churches are in disarray. I mean, one one thing about Concordia Publishing House is they put the preface to the small catechism in the just the small catechism alone. They put it in the back, which makes me laugh all the time. It's really funny. Yes. What a preface that is to put it in the back. Yeah, the back. Anyway, but we love CPA. But read the preface. Read the preface. Yeah, we do. I do. Yeah. 
and my most beautiful wife. And there's probably a really good reason that they did that. But. Well, it's because if you give a catechism to somebody, right. you yeah. want them to start with the matter of the faith. Yeah. The point that we were just making. So they, they are quite genius. In yeah, I get that. I, I get that. So read the preface or read the preface to the large catechism. And Luther does not hold back on the issues that were going on at the time. So it's not like... 1517, you know, you get the 95 Theses or the Heidelberg Disputation or he gets married, 1525 or whatever, you know, I mean, whatever you might see. Um, all of these things happening uh, don't just instantly fix the church. Uh, like like people kind of romanticize it, it happening. Things did improve, things did get better, but there were always struggles. I mean, Luther was going back and forth even up to the end of his life uh, just before the small called articles he's he's thinking he's gonna die so i have to write this thing because he's traveling around dealing with problems in the church and so these things never went away all along the way with luther is our buddy melanchthon melanchthon uh was it black earth i think it means he changed his name to melanchthon something like that and uh fine greek scholar was was a really good professor smart guy wrote some um books that were used for years after he passed for systematic theology. Um, and he trained a number of, of the folks we're going to talk about uh, very soon here. So so you have Melanchthon, and he's he's kind of Luther's right-hand man. So in, in, in 1546, Luther does what we expect everyone to do. Unless Christ comes back, he died. He dies... And and that sends somewhat of a shockwave to to the the German evangelical area. churches. Yeah. yeah, like okay, Luther's gone. So next thing you know, you got Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor, working with the Pope, and they come back into Germany. They never fully went away. And not only do they come back, but they take over some major cities, and they even get up to where Luther is buried in the church. And some of his guys, his soldiers, say, "Hey, let's let's dig up Luther. Let's have a trial. Let's call him guilty and let's burn his bones." Well, you know why they burn the bones, right? Yeah, it's a sign of disgrace. In in the Old Testament, especially, you see it's priests of other gods. You know, so. So, you know, open, you know, heathens uh, and prostitutes. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's a disgrace of the body. And, the, and what's left to resurrect is kind of, I guess, some thought there. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, so, so they offer that to Charles V and he says, just like, oh, what's, what's the phrase? Oh, I'm going to look at my book here. Let's see if I find it. Oh, I'm sorry. I wish I had it in front of me. Read your book of Concord, read the introduction to the formula of Concord, and I'll tell you, there's a little nugget in there from Charles V when he talks about uh, when they they get to his grave. Oh, here it is. I make war on the living, not on the dead. So in a strange change of events, which in those days they burned a lot of people, (laughs) dead, alive, whatever, Charles V says... To make a point. To make a point. Yeah. And Charles V says, just leave it alone. Just leave it alone. And so that that showed a certain amount of respect that Charles V must have had for Luther, even though this guy is the Holy Roman Emperor, you know, the, the defender of the Christian well, faith. 
again, though, as as we said, I, I and I think you've highlighted well for us too that at times there's this tension of we want to overly romanticize things and just kind of have this glossy view of the the history and how things happen and so forth. There were probably political reasons. Remember, he's the uncle of Frederick, right? And uh, the, then also, you know, Luther was well-loved for a lot of various reasons, as you already highlighted, you yeah. know, some of them, you know, good reasons uh, and a lot of, you know, really poor reasons. And and so he also probably is, is probably saying, oh, let it lie for, for a political reason of, because if we do this, Germany may revolt, and anytime you enter into war with Germany, even though they generally lose at least <laughs> the last two world wars, you know they're they're always a force to be reckoned with for a while, and it just creates unrest, right? And that's that's a good point. Yeah, there there's some political motivations behind it too, because Luther is like this little matchbox, you know, and whenever people start messing with Luther, things just light on fire. And the Reformation explodes with this, you know, powder keg ready to go. And so if he did, if he took Luther's body out, you know, you never know. You never know what would have happened. And light um, it on fire again. It. Interesting <laughs> metaphor that yeah. you use there. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Matchbox. Yeah. Keep giving us. This is great history. Right. Keep, keep, keep it coming. <laughs> so the church that imposes uh, these these rules on the Lutherans, they, they have this Augsburg interim. And the, you, they are absolutely cities, clergy, everybody is ordered to follow these rules. And, and one of the rules dealing with, well, they have to recognize the Pope. They have to reinstitute certain ceremonies that were highly Roman Catholic, except, you know, the seven sacraments. And, and basically, you have to be Roman Catholic again. A lot of the abuses that when we went through the... Augsburg Confession, Apology of the Augsburg Confession, we highlight it as, you know, we're getting rid of these things because they are abuses and stand against God's word. Right. Right. And ultimately, are, if not a roadblock to the gospel, then driving in the opposite direction of the gospel. So it's it's so many issues and, and problems with with getting away from the gospel. And it's the, the thing that Luther fought for. And, and here... This the the military might shows up. They said, if you don't do this, we'll arrest you, possibly kill you. And some people were arrested, some people were killed, some people's families, pastors' families were killed because of this. So these people were standing up against the Holy Roman Emperor. They were giving their lives for the sake of the gospel, for the things like the Augsburg Confession small, large catechism, the stuff that we have and we take so for granted, they were willing to die for it. That's that's something to uh, to consider in our lives today. Just because we can buy this book from CPH uh, and have it on our shelf, it, it's well worth the treasure that, that's actually in it. So this is the situation. Of course, now Luther's gone. Roman Catholic Church is back. Who's everybody going to turn to? Melanchthon. Ha ha. Like Luther's theology isn't dead because we have Melanchthon. This is the guy who wrote the Augsburg Confession, the Apology to the Augsburg Confession. He wrote so many of the things that we have in the Book of Concord. This is this is our guy. This is our hero. And unfortunately, uh, he wasn't. He 
Turns he, out he's a little weak without Luther. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His Luther was his backbone. I yeah. guess you could put it that way. And once Luther was gone, it just well. In a lot of ways, I mean, it does go hand in hand. I mean, Melanchthon was a great support to Luther in being able to to write really quite excellent documents in the Augsburg Confession, Apology of the Augsburg Confession. And I mean, again, as you look at history, sometimes different things kind of get swayed and talked about in different ways and so forth of, you know, well, basically Luther's looking over his shoulder and telling him what to write, you know, but he wants it to be by someone else's pen and things. I don't know that that's true. I mean, Melanchthon was definitely a very capable theologian himself, but uh, you see this even still in your lives today, right? You know, that, you know, someone who you work closely with and well with and you kind of help keep one another in check really well right and balance one another out really well and you know as as we even get you know which there's a morning show on this radio station uh, by this name you know kind of iron sharpening iron you know right you keep one another sharp in that sense and when that person's gone you know you kind of lose that uh balance and 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 you can be kind of fall off into some other deceptions and so forth. And so I think that's what you're saying. You know, this this kind of happens to Melanchthon. Yeah, where, where Luther was uh, inflexible, Melanchthon was very flexible. So they probably, you know, Luther probably, in the, in the sense of the word, steeled up Melanchthon to write what he wrote. And, and Melanchthon worked on Luther to say, you know, let's not bring so much fire here in this situation. Let's just calm it down a little bit. And so they, he tempered Luther. So they probably worked really well together. But with Luther gone, he didn't have that strength. And so he really wanted a sense of, of like, let's, can't we all just get along, sense of compromise. And how do you do that theologically? Well, for him, he used language that was, it was very vague. So he comes up with this Leipzig interim with other people to kind of, you know, work along with this Augsburg interim, this stuff, stuff that's placed on them by the Roman Catholic Church. And he's trying to present a certain amount of compromise, and it just wasn't working. I got a quote. Someone said, men must be honest in their difference if they are ever to be honest in their agreement. Melanchthon couldn't be honest in the differences. He was just very vague about it. And so if you don't know, if there's no boundaries, there's nowhere to draw the line, then you don't know what's too far and what isn't. And that was the problem with Melanchthon. He was trying to use language in these different things that he wrote. He ended up writing something that was almost its own book of Concord in a way, way bigger than what we have. Huge. And it was none of Luther's writings. The small, large catechism weren't in there. There were other things that, that were included. A lot of stuff written by, by Langton. And, uh, and, and none of it was really solid. It was all pretty vague. I unfortunately have to pause you. This is great history, and it's such a weird place to pause. But you've made an excellent point that we're going to come back to about, you know, where is our agreement? And I think a big hurdle to overcome is indeed that, uh, you know, acknowledging our differences first and so forth. So for more of that, more of this great history set up background to the formula of Concord, come right back after this break.
because of the Thanksgiving holiday, the next Law and Gospel will be the final live program for this week. But God willing, we'll be back on Monday. On Wednesday's Bible study, we will again be looking at a passage of Scripture for your edification. Listen to Law and Gospel weekday mornings beginning at 9.30 on KFUO. Are you the type of person who loves their community and wants it to be the best it can be? Now it's easier than ever to do your part. Go to RecycleMo.com to see just how easy it is to recycle the right way. Or if you already recycle and want to be as efficient as possible, RecycleMo.com can tell you what should and should not be recycled in your area. Become part of the clean recycling movement today. It's the right thing to do. Sponsored by the Missouri Department of Natural Resources. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. The Bible held a significant place in the culture of early America, and one particular printed Bible, the Aiken Bible, became known as the Bible of the American Revolution. After the colonies declared independence, the British put an embargo on any Bibles exported to America. No English Bibles had ever been printed in the colonies. In 1781, print shop owner Robert Aitken petitioned Congress to approve a publication of the Bible. In 1782, the congressional chaplains approved of Aitken's execution of the Bible, and Congress recommended this edition of the Bible to the inhabitants of the United States. Engage with the Bible in the history of this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible, opening this week in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to Concord Matters. We're setting up the history, the background, the setting of the formula of Concord, getting into this great stuff with Pastor Jaime Nava, pastor of Concordia Maplewood, Missouri. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith. And right before the break, you dropped a nugget, and I, I wanted to stop you then. Okay. Because I think this is an important point. Um, but uh, we were coming up on the break, and so I just kind of let you ramble on a little bit and then stopped you there so for the break. But uh, so, so you gave us this quote here about, you know, in order to, to – uh, why don't you read the quote again, actually? Sure. Make you find it here again. But uh, go ahead. Ready? Men must be honest in their difference if they are ever to be honest in their agreement. I, I think that is an – Absolutely excellent quote. And, and of course, we always say, I, I, I tend to share my social media a lot, 
you know, different quotes about how we find our unity and how that has to be centered in God's word. That's the whole idea of the show, right? Is that we be of one mind with Christ and, and his word's going to lead us in that. But one of those hurdles that often is connected with that is, is that we, we won't be honest about our differences. Now, I, I don't, I think sometimes we get a little militant about our differences and we just yell at each other. I don't know that that's helpful. We're, we're not advocating for that here. But if we acknowledge our differences, right, then then we can say, okay, well, let's have some reasoned discussion about why we differ. Why are we coming to these different conclusions? And God's word should lead us in those evaluations. Um, but otherwise, I, I think it just kind of you're, you're just kind of passing at one another. And uh, and it's always good, you know, in, in these efforts, too, that you, you do highlight where you have agreement, especially among Christians and so forth. And I think that sometimes gets lost as well. But this this is one of the struggles in setting up the formula, right, is is that, uh, you know, why why were the differences that were brought out in the Reformation there? You talked about some of the ceremonies that are being forced back on the Lutherans again in this Augsburg interim and things like that. And and it's like, no, those were the very things that the Reformation was all about. We had to get rid of those because yep. they go in the opposite yep. direction with the gospel. Yeah. Um, and so we can't just welcome them back for the sake of peace, right? right? We got to acknowledge what are these differences and and let's talk in a reasoned way about them. All right, so keep giving us great history. You're doing a great, great job. Oh, thanks, man. So yeah, I mean, it's a false peace, right? It's not a real peace. It's 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 peace to the world, but like, what you know, would you sell your soul and gain the world? I mean, if you owned the world, you could create peace, sure. At what cost, though? At what cost of everything? Really losing everything. And the world in the process. So, Melanchthon is is trying to sit in this vague middle ground, using language that is in between, uh, so that people could interpret it both ways. Someone who's Roman Catholic could interpret it. Oh, that's okay. That sounds Roman Catholic. Someone who's a Calvinist could hear that and say, "Oh, he's talking Calvin's language," and and I think his hope was. Lutherans would hear it and say, "Oh, he's he's speaking my language," but if 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 everybody says that they're that Melanchthon is saying what they're saying, then obviously he's not being very clear, and so that was the problem with Melanchthon is he was really trying to he was compromising for the sake of unity, but it was a false unity, and there were people who started to recognize this. So Melanchthon and the people who followed him are Philippists because he's Philip Melanchthon. So the Philippists, they, they kind of took over Wittenberg where, uh, you know, Wittenberg University or diversity university. Yeah. Yeah. Let's work with that. Uh, so he's there. Kind of the center of the Reformation right. with Luther. Uh, he was there. Yeah. And so now that that hub of Lutheran theology is is being run by people like Philip Melanchthon and those who are following him. And and a lot of people were following. There's I mean, even under Philip, there was different factions. You know, you had people who were saying, "Well, respect the guy; he's been through a lot." Um, you know, you have others who are. I mean, this is like, look, 1517, you have the 95 theses. 1530, you had the uh, Augsburg uh, brain to stop confession. Yeah, well, yeah, the confession, but but they were in. Uh, 
They were the eating. Diet of Augsburg. Yeah, that's the word. The Diet. <laughs> the meeting. I should yeah. know that because I like to eat. Yeah. So the Diet of Augsburg. So they were there. Sorry, everybody. You know, my brain stops sometimes. Um, so they're the, he, he's been there. Now we're in fi- the 1540s, right? Luther dies 1546. The Roman Catholic, well, the Holy Roman Emperor shows up and takes over all these cities. In 1547, you have all of these things going on in the, in the 1540s. You've got... Some wars in the later 1540s. So there's a lot going on, and and everyone's like, you know, some of these guys following Philip, like, hey, give the guy some credit. He's been through a lot. Um, so maybe we just need to listen to hear him out. Maybe he's going to eventually clarify. Other people just really ran with the way the the direction that Philip went in, which is, you know, let's play the middle ground. Maybe Luther's a little harsh. Maybe he's just a little too, you know coming at people too hard and so then they don't want to listen to what he has to say so you start to see this i guess faction build in wittenberg well now for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction right so you had these the compromisers under philip and then you had these other guys who uh started to call themselves the genuine lutherans the Genesio lutherans and they kind of had the the Luther style, you know, the fire and the and the the guts and the the backbone, and maybe so much so that it was it was a little much. Um, maybe they just looked looked at Luther and said, "Hey, this is this is the way forward." This is Are the- you sure you're talking about the 1540s? Because it really sounds like today. I, I wasn't. You know, I mean, I'll take us there. <laughs> you you want to go there? Well, no, just to highlight what we did in the first half of the show again, sure. where you know, I, I think. You know, especially because we have a rather self-selective audience to this show, you know, generally have a more informed listener on this show. Probably most of our listeners are saying, you know, isn't that kind of what we have going on in the church today? Right. You know, people trying to compromise and let's just have peace in the church and, and, you know, be all about the mission and things. And then, oh, but we're we're genuine. We got to hold on to this. And and then it kind of becomes a spectrum. Right. I mean, and using Luther's polemic, his his way of, of writing and coming at people and saying, you know, uh, there's where, where Melanchthon was trying to build bridges for the sake of running out of bricks. I don't, I'm running out of analogies here, (laughs) but so he's doing that. Whereas this other group is saying there's only one road and you have to pay the toll through it. I don't know. I mean, it's just, uh, there's a lot going on. And so you have some people who were genuine, you know, good, solid Lutherans, but the the way that they were driving out or coming after uh, Philippus was was pretty harsh, pretty hard. And so these two factions start to build and they start to grow. Um, and <clears throat> I was at Magdeburg, Magdeburg. What a great word! Say that ten times fast. That's where they these Gnasio Lutherans started to build kind of their central headquarters, working together. Uh, and then Melanchthon dies in fifteen sixty. Fifteen sixty. So his life ended really in controversy. Uh, you'd hope that he'd have something a little more peaceful. I mean, that's something what I hope for myself and and for for the people around me, but. From a length, and it just is up to the end. Well, and and you've you've mentioned here a few times the the compromises that he has and so forth. Um, you know, 
we have mentioned again we we just barely scratched the surface as we deal with the articles and that's why i really wanted to spend a show just kind of looking at the history and digging into the history where we can examine this a little bit more but uh when we were going through the augsburg confession and the apology of the augsburg confession we we highlighted a few of the places where melanchthon had gone back and changed what he wrote right and so i'm going to have you maybe highlight a few of those things for us here that were some of these compromises. Um, and, and we've talked about on the show, this, this leads to um, Lutherans as, as we do in the Lutheran church, Missouri Senate, we say we subscribe to the unaltered Augsburg confession because he altered Mullington went back and changed it. He altered the Augsburg confession and multiple uh, times. Yeah. Multiple times. Yeah. And, and especially, you know, like the, the two churches I serve again, they're so old that a part of their official name, uh, is uh, St. Paul's Evangelical Lutheran Church, UAC, of the unaltered Augsburg Confession <laughs> at Wine Hill, Illinois, and then Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church, UAC, of the unaltered Augsburg Confession, wow. that is, right, wow. uh, at uh, West Point there in Illinois. And so, yeah, I mean, it's even a part of our official names. This is how important it was, even to descendants you know, a few generations after this coming over to the United States, yeah. and of course there were a lot of other issues that is for another show, another time, that history that that played out in our own Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. But but these sorts of issues were still, you know, uh, very real for the folks settling here in the United States and setting up what became the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod in the 1800s, right? Oh, this is going to have reverberations for hundreds of years to come because uh, now I'm starting to lose my history. The uh, prince tries to get the Lutherans and the Calvinists to commune together. Oh, the Prussian Union. The Prussian yeah. Union, which drives a lot of Lutherans out of Prussia coming to the United States. And so there are some folks, even Calvin himself signed uh, uh, his name to one of the versions of Melanchthon's Augsburg, or Book of Concord, Augsburg Confession, yeah. because it had been altered so much that even John Calvin himself could read it and say, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. And and that's specifically in connection with the Lord's Supper, which they give a much more spiritual significance to than than, you know, this is my body. We this could do is a whole show body. on that. Right. And and again, we've we've highlighted and just barely scratched the surface as as we've gone by things and we'll continue to do so, especially now that we get into the formula. And just to clear up, it was a slip of the tongue, you corrected yourself, but obviously it was not the Book of Concord that he signed right. because right. the Book of Concord, as we'll highlight, doesn't even come into being until the formula of Concord um, you know, comes in here and then they say, Okay, we need to compile these these confessions together and say this is what we we're about as Lutherans, right? Uh, so we'll highlight that yet, but uh, but yeah, like the Lord's Supper, and, and, and yeah, talk about you know the time under the Prussian Union and so forth. I always like to highlight this. This is just fun history stuff, um, not necessarily needed today, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, one of the things that they made the the Lutherans do was the Calvinist thing, which is that they would break the bread at the altar in the words of institution. Uh, you know, he took and broke and, and we always, you know, kind of whitewash it today and say, oh, well, that's just following the words. Isn't that nice? You know, and, and it always kind of makes me laugh when Lutheran pastors do that. It's like because our ancestors were looking to get away from that kind of stuff because it's a very Calvinist thing, which they would break the bread in essence to say, see, no Jesus in here. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> just bread. And so it, it, it plays in with their confession. And so, again, I'm not saying if you're 
LCMS pastor or Lutheran pastor breaks the bread that he's a heretic, do not use me against your pastor <sighs> ever. No, All right. Uh, no. We may be able to talk about these things. I'm just talking about things that actually happen in history that, that are connected with our confession of faith. Right. And so we, we always got to give thought to those things. And, and that plays out, as we'll see in the formula of Concord, of if we're going to hold this confession, it's going to play out this way and, and in our practice. Right. Anyway, so back, back to the history. Yeah, here. yeah. Practice is like the tip of the iceberg of your theology. I mean, all you see on the surface is this this tip, but underneath all that you're doing is all of this biblical theology and support of the saints for the past 2,000 years. That's the way it should be. So anyway, that's a different, that's a different radio show. Well, I don't know that it is, but okay. today well, we're, we're, we're today. highlighting the not history background setup show. for the... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, uh, so you got the Gnasio Lutherans, you got the Philippists, Philip Melanchthon dies. You did have a question, though. You said, what kind of yeah. things did Philip... Are, are, Which I highlighted one with the Lord's Supper. Right. So what did he compromise on, at least for the Roman Catholics? Um, he he was compromising on uh, Roman Catholic-type stuff. For example, uh, let me see, confirmation as a sacrament, right? So no longer just Lord's Supper and baptism, and I include confession absolution myself I've yeah, we've talked about that you know it can kind of be one of those iffy things right especially and, even for luther himself at what point in his life and things yeah and he said what well, the number doesn't matter yeah. right so long as it's giving jesus but confirmation like giving jesus i, I don't know about that belief uh you got uh baptismal christening or anointing uh canonical hours use of latin in the worship service uh, chanting, vestments, images, festivals. So there's certain things like the, the Roman Catholic Church was saying, you have to do it this way, period. And and using military might to kind of enforce it. Well, absolutely. I mean, people were dying because of this these things. And so it's no light, no small thing. Unfortunately, Malachi gave in. People supported him. And and uh, things were falling apart. Lutheranism, this this romantic idea of after Luther died, the whole you know German area, or Prussian whatever area, was just like ah, oh, it's Lutheran, everything's great. No, that's not what was happening at all. It was coming apart at the seams, and now you have these factions building, fighting against each other. That are some are soaking into the. The denominations around them and others are are fighting hard, so hard against it that no one wants to listen to them because of the language that they're using. But thankfully, there was a middle ground. There was between these two groups, there was a group of, of very faithful pastors. You have Martin Chemnitz is one of them. He's he's called the second Martin. Right? He's considered a uh, just an incredible theologian. He wrote uh, a, a really big book on the, the two natures of Christ, which if if you're a theology geek like me, you should read it. You should read it. And then quiz your pastor on the... You should have read it in seminary like gonna, we did. I'm going to yeah. name it the genus. I'll just say the genus. You know. So anyway, so you got uh, Martin Chemnitz. You got uh, Jacob, Yaakov, Andre. And uh, Selnicker, first name. I don't remember his first name. 
Jacob, right? Jacob? That sounds Oh, uh, right. man. Sure. Now, oh, oh okay. so you hear the pages turning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Friday. Okay. So, as as we look, that's fine. Uh, you had uh, uh, Jacob, Yaakov, Andre write some sermons, and, and six of these sermons really dealt with the problems that were going on at the time. And he really wanted to make it accessible to people. So he he writes these sermons. He he sends them out for people to read. And people read it. Selnicker, these guys read it. They say, yeah, this is really good. This stuff, yeah, really, really good. Selnicker, uh, sorry, the Gnasio Lutherans read these things. And they say, oh, no, 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 no. Well, this was the beginning. The wheels started to turn where these, these Lutherans were looking at, okay, what are the problems that we are dealing with today, and how are we going to resolve them? And so those six sermons uh, led to a different writing, which was really heavy and, and thick and hard to get through. And uh, so theologians were reading it and saying, it's good, it's really good, but it's just too much. Nicholas, by the way. Oh, this Nicholas. is embarrassing. I can't believe I said Jacob. Nicholas. Nicholas. Yeah. We do that. I should have known we that. that. It's just sorry to derail you. There's, there's, I just had to correct my stupidity. You know what? There's so many things in you life get on to air. Remember. You get on air and your brain just stops working. It happens all yeah. the time. It's but, the right. it's the radio waves mess yeah. with your brain. Yeah, so like if that. you're listening to a podcast, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Lots of good history that we're finally getting into the yeah. formula now. Itself, oh, it's so, so good. Keep it going. And so, so you've got these Philippists, you've got these Gnasio Lutherans, and then you've got these, these handful of guys, and they get called together. There's like, oh, I think six pastors get called together by uh, one of these dukes, and they say, okay, we've got to figure this out. So they take these six sermons, and they take this other heavy thing that's written, and they, they bring it together. And they say, let's work, let's work through this. And they say, well, the sermons are good, but they're not enough. And this other book, is this, this writing is good, but it's too much. And so they, they blend the two together. They work out the best of both worlds. And that leads us to our Torgau formula. So the Torgau formula, I think it was 1576, is when it was finished. They send it out. Pastors read it. Uh, everyone really likes it. They make a couple of tweaks to it. They, they you know, fix it where it needs, where, where everyone thinks it's, it needs to be fixed. And eventually that leads to the epitome of the formula of Concord, the epitome of the formula of Concord. And so that, uh, that gets sent out to all of the pastors in the area. And as as it's read, people loved it. Signed by three electors, 21 princes, 22 counts, 24 free cities, and by 8,000 teachers of the church. 8,000, basically pastors and professors, read these things and they say, yes, this is it. So you've got the Philippists on the one hand saying, whoa. You guys are coming after us. Like, you guys are going way too harsh. You got the Calvinists and the Crypto-Calvinists, which hopefully you deal with later 
when you go through this formula. Oh, it'll definitely come up. I'm yeah. sure you will. But obviously, we we know the term crypto, meaning you know, kind of hidden. Yeah, yeah, yeah hidden. They're, they're they're hiding in Wittenberg, trying to take over uh, the university there. So these guys are saying, "Whoa, you guys are coming after us!" But but those are the outskirts of the theologians, the Lutheran theologians. Everybody else says yes. This is it. So then Martin Chemnitz and others, they spend the next few years, a couple years, like promoting this, the epitome. And then they come out with a solid declaration of the formula of Concord. And then eventually that leads to, in 1580, I think it's June 25th, 50 years, 50 years after they meet at the Diet of Augsburg, which I remembered, to the day they start printing off the uh, Book of Concord. They put it all together. And so the, the, the pastors and the churches and the cities, and I mean, this is interesting. Cities sign their name to this, right? Princes, this is like saying mayors and governors. Like, can you imagine if, if the mayor of your city said, I'm a Lutheran and I subscribe to the Book of Concord? That would have an impact on how he, he works. So that's just, I mean, church and state were kind of one of the same in those days, but it still did have a, a very positive impact. And so these people, uh, when they when you supported the solid declaration, the epitome of the these formulas of, of Concord, then you support the whole Augsburg Confession or the, the whole Book of Concord. I, so many words, yeah. Uh, we we like Augsburg and we like Concordia. These words are everywhere. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're we're talking about Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, the yep. Book of Concord we use. You serve at Concordia. Yep. Yeah, my wife's at Concordia oh, Publishing House. Yeah, just these words they they do run together. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, Augsburg. Yeah, all these things. So anyway, sorry, Book of Concord. If you if you subscribe to the Formula of Concord, you people tended to subscribe to the whole. Book of Concord. So these things really tied it all together, bringing us to bring us what we have, the the unaltered, right? All these things in the, in the Book of Concord. Sorry, words, good stuff. I get excited. It's all right. Push through. Just a few more minutes to the end of the show. Keep going. So, as these people uh, accepted the the formula of Concord, the Book of Concord, uh, that is where that romantic idea of Lutheranism really started to usher in. Uh, you had uh, Maurice, oh, I don't remember if he was a duke uh, or one of the electors, but he was he was kind of a turncoat. He allowed the Roman Catholic Church to come in when they, when they came in in uh, 1547, but they got kicked out by this guy, uh, I think 1550s, 1560s. And so he realized, wow, I really need to support the Lutherans. Uh, maybe for political gain, too. You know, that might have been a better move for him politically. There's usually multiple reasons yes. for what we do. Yeah. Yeah. And so he does this, and, and he, kicks out the, he kicks out the Holy Roman Emperor out of the area. And, and the Roman Catholics were so scared that he's going to come to where they were that they, they stopped the Council of Trent, if I understood correctly, Priests then flee to their homes because they think, wow, the Lutherans are going to come back and bring vengeance against us, which they didn't. They didn't. And so 
you had uh, the Lutherans and the Germans uh, it really starting to usher in an era of, of peace and unity. The Roman Catholic Church recognized, okay, Lutherans are on the same footing as Roman Catholics. So where the local ruler, they made a rule, where the local ruler rules, his religion is what they worship. And so if, if the ruler is Lutheran, everybody in that area is Lutheran. And if you don't want to be Lutheran, then you got to move. That's, that was the bottom line. If the ruler is Roman Catholic, same idea. And so that provided a, an area, a sense of protection for the Lutherans then. Now, finally, uh, years later, being somewhat recognized by the Roman Catholic Church, at least in a political sense, to not attack each other. And that allowed the, the Lutheran theology to really blossom and grow from there. All right, so this is great history setting us up for the theology matters, the matters of theology that are addressed in the formula of Concord. Go ahead and highlight with just a few minutes left, a couple minutes left in the show here, what what are just some of these theological matters? I, I, at the very beginning, you threw a few of them out there. Sure. Uh, but just highlight a couple more. Uh, as as you know, the history all sets up the point that you know. Look, we 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 have to find a unity on these matters that play out in our life in the church, and they right. still do. Right, they still do. They still do. And so, we're going to highlight them individually as we go. But what are yeah. some of those issues that that the Lutherans are fighting and dying for, as you've highlighted for us in the history here? So uh, you got adiaphora, right? Things that are neither commanded nor forbidden. And so Cal, or, uh, Melanchthon was trying to take this middle road, right, where he would say these things, you know, they're adiaphora. They don't make that big of a difference. They're not going to have that big of an impact. Well, the Lutherans realized, you know what, not all adiaphora are created equal. Some things have a greater impact than others. And so that was the sense there that, yes, you cannot command a thing to be done everywhere all the time because there are some things that need flexibility. However, you can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater either. This is why it's important for us to... Because usually lying behind what you do in practice, which may be an adiaphron in terms of practice... There's always a theology behind it, as we highlighted already earlier. It's the tip right? this of is, the iceberg. Yeah, tip of the iceberg. So that that one's going to be a great subject. I maybe maybe it'll work out for you to be back, or you can just crash the studio and because <laughs> yeah. uh, I know you want to talk about that. But that one's going to be a great great episode coming up with some of the others. Oh man, so many good things. So Adiaphora, that's a big one. Um, 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 uh, antinomianism, right? Against the law, right? So it's it's saying that there is no. As Christians, we are free. We're free from the law in the gospel. Therefore, the we're not required to live, you know, like we can't throw God's law on people. We're going to expect Christians to do good things because the Holy Spirit will motivate them to do good works, not by the law, but by the gospel. We say, oh, thank you, Jesus, for doing these things. So they got motivated against them. Well said. That's Pastor Jaime Nava of Concordia in Maplewood, Missouri. Thanks for being our guest today and laying the 
history, foundation, setting, background for the formula of Concord, how it came to be, what are the issues going on, of course, at the center, theological issues. So please continue to tune back in as we deal with those specific articles of doctrine, those matters of theology that may, we may be of one mind with Christ. If you'd like to leave a question or comment for us for the next time we convene for Concord, you can find us at KFUO at KFUO.org or on at KFUO Radio on social media or call and leave a message for us at 314-996-1542. Thanks for stopping by today. Until next time, keep confessing, church.